Welcome to the Success Inspired Podcast, a business and personal development podcast to help you accomplish more in life and realize your true potential. And now here is your host, Vit Muller. Hello, everybody. Vit here again from Success Inspired Podcast. <clears throat> I'm super excited today to introduce you today's guest. So my guest today is a motivational keynote speaker, business keynote speaker. He's a published author. He's a CEO and respected business leader willing to take risks and new challenges. He has more than uh, 40 years of executive level experience in national and global transportation, industrial engineering, inside operation, and supply chain management at UPS, where he served as a president at various divisions. Today, we'll be talking about entrepreneurial spirit, work ethics, and balanced leadership. Please welcome to the show, Rocky Romanella. Well, thank you, sir, for that uh, wonderful introduction. I guess you could say, in many ways, I have a good experience, or I'm just old. I'm not sure about which one you want to pick there. I like to think I'm young at heart, but it is a 40-year career, that's for sure. Okay, I've got you here on video, and to me, you look fresh. You you must be keeping fit. There you go. Oh, well, fitness is an important part of the routine, right? I mean... If you're if you're energetic, if you're fit, and you feel good about yourself, you certainly your people feel good about you as well. Absolutely. Now, Rocky, I've 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 gone through a bit of an intro, uh, intro, but for me and uh, for us, for the listeners, can you just expand on that a little bit more? What was your beginning? What was your journey into this? You know, interestingly enough, I started working at UPS part time, working my way through college, and I actually went to school to be a high school history teacher and a baseball coach. Mm. And I love the teaching concept and, you know, the teaching profession I have such great admiration for. And of course, I love coaching. So as I was working my way through college as a part-timer unloading trailers, I recognized quick, pretty quickly that the best leaders were those leaders who can get their people to connect the dots. And so I, for me, I never gave up my teaching or coaching passion. I just did it in a different venue, right? Instead of being in a crystal classroom or on a field of play, I did it inside a business. And so I got my coaching fix and my teaching fix through the ability to be a leader inside of UPS. Now, UPS had a promotion from within policy, which I took advantage of. And so, you know, as, as I started the job, my dad told me two things that stuck with me throughout my career. The first was whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. And then learn your job and learn some more. And so as I was growing and developing inside UPS and people would tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, we've got this new responsibility for you. I may not have felt ready or I may have lacked a little bit of confidence or felt I didn't have the skill for that next job. But the thing I learned that it's a valuable lesson I took throughout my career was, is that as a leader, there are times when you have to believe in your people until they're ready to believe in themselves. And you bridge that gap of confidence and knowledge as they're growing and developing and you kind of bridge them there. And then you kind of get that break-even point sort of like you do in a business and then that's when you know their confidence and their skills match up with the job responsibilities. And then that's when you take that step back. That's when you don't overmatter. That's when you let them fly. And as, as a coach, you do that. As a personal trainer, you do that. And all that you do, there are times that you're believing in your people until they're ready to believe in themselves. And so I got that, that opportunity at UPS. And the thing that I think is interesting for my UPS career, then maybe some of the more traditional careers at UPS is I... I was able to do the non-traditional things. So we purchased mailboxes, et cetera. We branded to the UPS store. We, we 
purchased over 20 companies and build what's today UPS Supply Chain Solutions, and I ran the side of the world. I know you're on the other side. I ran this side of the world for uh, UPS, and so they were great opportunities for me to learn, grow, and develop. I retired from UPS after uh, 36 years and uh, was recruited to be a CEO of a telecom company. We built cell towers, upgraded cell towers. We had a sale there. And then I started my own business, a 360 management service. So I guess you could say my biggest failure is retirement. And mm-hmm. I'm going to struggle with the whole retirement. So uh, I think my wife is very happy I'm doing other things besides following her around the house, too, I would say. Why would you say your biggest failure is retirement? Well, because I, I think that, you know, for me, I never really settled into, you know, playing golf or doing a lot of traveling. For me, I, I felt this was a great opportunity for me to give back. You know, I believe legacy is such an important part of, you know, who you are and what you did as a leader. And so for me, legacy is that concept of do you leave things a little better than you found them? Are people better because of their time with you? And and for me, the, what I'm doing today as a keynote speaker, a leadership trainer, or, you know, doing some consulting and process improvement and coaching, to me, this is my opportunity to give back. So it gives me time to do things with my family and, and our seven grandchildren, but it also gives me a time period to stay engaged. I wrote my book, Tighten the Lug Nuts, and I feel good about the fact that I can give back a little bit. I, I work with some wonderful people who mentored me and trained and helped me along the way. Uh, hopefully, I did those same things for the people I was engaged with along the way. And now this opportunity in this part of my life is to take those experiences, put them down in a book or maybe in a keynote or in some leadership training and help some other people along the way. So so to be completely retired from business has been tough for me. I, I just enjoy doing what I'm doing. And so I guess that's uh, that's the, I don't think uh, I'll be that retired guy that just uh, plays golf all the time. Maybe because oh. I'm a bad golfer. <laughs> that's probably it. It's probably because I'm a bad golfer. <clears throat> There's other sports you can took up. You can do darts. But yeah. what I love about everything here is what you said is there's, there's a few things, but one I want to touch on is the purpose. At you know we only live one life. At we need to have purpose at all the stages of the life. And like you said, you didn't really like the idea of retirement, just playing golf. You you feel like there is more to it, and your purpose, like you said, is leaving that legacy. It's so important to have that purpose, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean. It, it- Look, without purpose, we drift. With purpose, we we stay on course. And so I think each of us has to understand. And really, if you think about you know purpose, another way to translate it is what's your brand? What do you stand for? What are the things that differentiate you from everybody else? And if you think about products, products have brands. If you know, if you name a product, people kind of know exactly what you're talking about. Well, people have, you know, each of us has a brand as well. Mm. And so I think that for me, my for me, my brand was always this concept of being thoughtful. You know, I tell people all the time, I get the opportunity to speak at colleges and juniors and seniors or at, you know, high schools, juniors and seniors. And then, of course, you, you talk a lot about that, that journey they may be starting or beginning those, those career steps. And I always tell people, think of the word you want someone to use to describe you at the end of your career. So what's that right. word of it that you think you would want someone to use to describe you at the end of your career? I would like people to describe me as somebody who was able to provide value through fitness. And I was able to, I think ultimately with this podcast and everything I've done for the last 10 years has been, you know, helping people through fitness, right? So if I can leave something in the world that keeps on inspiring more people 
to live more healthy, active lifestyle, then I'm happy. And I mean, there is there's already a lot when it comes to fitness. There's a lot of programs. There's a lot of <clears throat> new unique gyms and solutions to keeping fit people fit and a bunch of really crazy wild innovative ideas that are about to come on the market as well so there's a lot so it'll definitely be a, if i want to leave this legacy and be memorable i think <laughs> i'll need to figure out a, a way to to make that dent so i'm not missing the so noise think about it so though so then the word that maybe that you could use to describe you at the end of your career is balance you want people to have that balance work but also a fitness of health and so I think that's important to think about what that word is. And it's, it's tough to answer that question when you get asked it like this on the spot. But if you think about it, like for me, the word was always thoughtful. I wanted to be considered a thoughtful leader, a person who thought of things from its widest consequences, how it impacted our people, our customers, our shareholders, our stakeholders. And so for me, the word was thoughtful. But And for you, it could be the word balance or it could be uh, another word. But what's important about that word as you start your journey or you start your career or you start to work on your brand, what you start, what you do is you start to build a mosaic to that word. All the things yeah. that you do support that word. And I think that's what's important because that's your brand then. When someone says, well, what, what's Rocky Romanello all about? Hey, I got this job. And they call someone who's worked for me in the past and they say, hey, Ryan, I'm going to work for Rocky. What's he like? Well, they're going to really tell you my brand. Well, he's... You better bring hard work and enthusiasm. It's about integrity and safety. Those are his key things. You know, you know, if, if, he, if you've got a problem, it's okay to go talk to him. His door is always open. Though That's your brand. And I think that's what's important because as we travel through this journey, both personally and professionally, we're building our brand. It's who, what's our brand promise? What do we stand for? What are the things? Who are we? What do we stand for? But I think most importantly, what are the things we won't compromise? Because the, because that's where you lose your credibility when you compromise on those values or you compromise on your brand. Once you break that brand promise, like a company or a product, it's hard to get that back again. Absolutely. And you're totally right. Like You've put me on the spot there a little bit. It is a question that I haven't, to be honest, really asked myself on that bigger picture, like what I really want to leave. I know why I'm doing this podcast and what I'm doing sort of in the short term, in the next few years, what my vision is there. But yeah, long term, I think if you ask me this question in 10 years, I think it'll it'll be a bit more matured. At the moment, it's still sort of crystallizing, but great point. Well, that's okay. I mean, but that's but, but that's how you evolve. You, you have those moments of like, and I call them aha moments. Mm. Uh-huh. That, I mean, that's what I try to create in my keynote speeches or maybe through the book you know, or through conversations like you and I are having on podcasts, what's that aha moment? Because, you know, most people will read a book and they'll put it down. I know people will read a book and they'll say, well, you know, I do a lot of those things. Well, that's a good thing. I mean, that was my goal when I wrote this book was, you know, that you'll go through this book and you'll, you'll see, you'll see these things and you'll say, Hey, I do that. I do that. Well, that's a good thing. That reinforces that you are doing the right things. You're on the right path. But if I can create that aha moment. So in this podcast tonight, hopefully there'll be some, you know, pearls of wisdom or some, you know, tilt the head kind of things. But if we can get a couple aha moments like this, if this is your aha moment, then this has been a successful conversation. It's just a way for you to think of things differently. I got to think about that. What is that word that describes me? What, what, how do I want people to describe me at the end of my career? 
it's a thought provoking thing. And that's really what you want to do is, is be thought provoking and, and help people get to that answer as best they can. You're not directing them to the answer. You're helping them develop the answer or uncover the answer for themselves. That's where coaching becomes so powerful, right? Coaching in and and leadership too, but the aspect of coaching it's 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 very effective when it comes to leading people, right? Because at some point you need to have that two way discussion with somebody that you want to perhaps help them change direction, help them find that solution, but you want them to figure it out on their own, right? And that's where good coaching questions coming from uh, the perspective of I'm just here to show you the way. I'm not here to sorry. I'm just here to help you navigate that process of figuring out what it is that you need to do, right? Well, that's a great point you're, you're bringing up. And so think about, so one of the important aspects or one of the core values of a good coach is they're individuals who, who absolutely don't care who gets the credit. Because mm. if they cared who got the credit, they would be telling you what to do. And then they would be like, hey, I, I, I gave you this information and now look where you are. A really good coach, to your point, helps you find that answer and then start to embrace that answer and it becomes your answer and you step back as a coach and you're 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 so excited that that individual it, you, they connected that's what great teachers do right they get people to connect the dots that's why for me coaching and teaching was such a great you know combination for me and as i said in the beginning i never gave up those two passions they just did it in a different place but you're absolutely right i mean great coaches understand that working together works and that it, I'm not, I'm not, I don't get any, I have no concern about who gets the credit. What I'm, my biggest concern is that you understand what we're trying to accomplish and you can get there and you see how you're going to get there and you provide the energy to get there. And you, and you buy into it and you become fully invested in. That's what, that's what Absolutely. I love about going through that process because it really creates that solution for the other person. And if it's a team, then everybody benefits because then everybody gels and everybody is fully invested. It's the same with fitness, right? You, you can tell somebody, you know, they, they come to you, you can tell them how to exercise, you can tell them what food to eat, you can tell them all the aspects around health and fitness that they need to change. But unless they really buy into it and then they, re and they realize the importance of it, what it could do for them, it's always going to be a drag. You're just continually just going to be the pusher and um, it's not fun. No, you know, that's why, you know, when I created this balanced leadership approach, there was three parts of it, you know, thinking like a customer, feeling like a valued individual, but acting like an owner, you know, those are the three key constituents that have to be represented at the table, right? You know, customers, people, shareholders, stakeholders, but the feelings you should have is I think like a customer, I feel like I'm a valued individual, but I act like an owner. And that ownership piece is so important because that ownership piece is the buy-in piece, you know, oh, I've got a good idea. I present it to you, you know, and then I look at you and I say, well, you know, you know what? This is a really good idea. Our customers are represented. Our people are represented. Our shareholders, stakeholders are represented. We can make a profit. Then the last question I would, would ask you is, hey, if you own this business, if this was your candy store, if this was your gym, would you do it? And when that person says, yes, absolutely, I'd write that check from my own personal checkbook to do this, well, that's the buy-in you need. That's the ownership. And, it, and when people are coming to you as, as, a, as a personal trainer, that's what you're looking for, that buy-in. You know, are, are you calling them at, at 6 a.m.? Are you telling them to set their alarm at 6 a.m. to get there to the gym before work? Or are, they, or are they showing up at quarter to six ready to go because they've bought in and because they take, they've taken ownership of their, 
their personal health, their nutrition, their wellness. That's what you're looking for is that person who's acting like an owner. I own this. Exactly. Exactly. And then everything is smoother. Everything just becomes a meeting halfway. They're getting good results. They're fully invested. And it makes the job of the trainer a lot easier as well. It doesn't feel like, like I said, like you're just pushing and, and, and they're just continually just waiting for you to keep on kicking them in the butt. You know, you know, it's funny. In business, we talk a lot about empowerment. You want to empower your people. Mm. And when you ask someone what empowerment is, most people will say, well, treating people with dignity and respect. And that's true, you know. But true empowerment is when people discipline themselves. When I'm harder on me than you are on me, then I'm empowered. I've taken ownership of this. You know, there's an old uh, commercial from years ago here in the States where you know, a young goalie lets the puck in and he's all upset. He's banging the hockey stick against the, against the goal. And the coach comes over and gives him a lifesaver candy and says, it's okay. Well, the, the important part of that commercial is that that young, that young goalie was empowered. You don't need to pile on when someone's that upset. He's already, or she's already disciplined themselves. Yeah. When you walk over to that goalie and you're like, hey, what just happened? And the goalie says, I can't believe it. The defense never is not playing hard. I got to do everything myself. I've got to stop all the pucks. They're not empowered. They're, they're, they're finding excuses. So when someone's empowered, the way you know they are empowered is they discipline themselves. They're harder on you. And at that moment, you don't need to be the person piling on, telling them, hey, you know, you should have done a better job. It's the opposite. You're, you're handing them the lifesaver. It's okay. Things are going to happen. Let's work through this. And that's the same in business and in life. And, you know, think about it in a gym when a person's that upset that they, they, they haven't been able to get to that point or maybe they haven't hit that goal yet and they're so upset, they're so frustrated. Well, that's when you, you know they're empowered. You know they own their health. You know they own the, the process or the plan you've put together. Now you're trying to be the, you know, the, the coach, the cheerleader. It's okay. We're going to get there. Maybe we did nine of these sets, you know, nine push-ups today. We, I know 10 was the plan, but you did nine. You know, I had a nun in Catholic school that used to always say to us, it's not where you are relative to everyone else. Mm. It's where you are from where you started. And think about that. If I was doing, when I got here and I could barely do one push-up and now I'm doing nine in this period of time, that may be great results. There's some people next to me doing 12 and 15, and I'm thinking, well, they're doing 12 and 15. They look like my age. We look like it's about the same body type. How come I can't do 12 or 15? Yeah, but where, when I got here, I was doing one. So where I am from where I started, and I think that's an important lesson for entrepreneurs many times, too. They put so much pressure on themselves. They started this business. They had a plan for 18 months to break even. You know, they're in month nine, they're close, and they want, they're so frustrated that they haven't broken even yet. Well, where you are from where you started, you're way ahead of where you thought you were going to be, but mm. you're just putting that much more pressure on yourself. So I think that's so, that's so important to keep that in perspective. And I think also the reason why this happens is that we tend to often compare ourselves to others. And it's, it's, it's a bad thing, I know, it's a, <laughs> but it does happen, right? We do that. Uh, yeah, I mean that's the competitiveness in all of us, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, but it's just when it becomes too extreme when you're like comparing every aspect of your life, and then you become unhappy because you like you feel like I'm not where a lot of other people are in my age and that sort of stuff. It's when you really stop focusing yourself and you start focusing too much on on the outside world, and then you lo lose that um, connection with your 
what was your actually initial desire that you wanted to achieve? I get asked quite often question about, you know, entrepreneurs and I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, currently today, small business owners. And they always ask me, you know, what are some of the things that you see? And, I, and one of the things I see that I think is, is, you know, you can't allow your strength to become your weakness. And that's, if you think about it from an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur's, uh, entrepreneur's perspective for a second, mm -hmm. think about an entrepreneur. No one's more vested than they are. Think about your, think about your, your, your business, your gym. No one's more vested than you are. No one understands the business better than you do. No one's more committed than you are. W what's your weakness? No one knows the business better than you do. No one's more vested than you are. No one's more committed than you are, right? So entrepreneurs sometimes tend to, to allow their strengths to become their weakness, you know? So, so for example, they struggle with adding that first employee. They sometimes become too tactical when they need to take a step back and take a longer vision look at, well, what's my business going to look like in the next six months, 12 months, or 18 months from now? But, but their strength is they understand the business day to day. You know, I always tell the story, you walk into a, a business and, you know, it's that maybe it's Christmas or that time of the year, it's very busy, it's a retail store, and there's people working the floor and everyone's getting taken care of, but the lines at the cash register, and you're thinking to yourself, we have all these people in here, everyone's gotten taken care of, but we've got this massive line at the cash register, and you look, and the owner's the only one that's using the cash register because he's the only one that they trust with the money. Mm. Well, well that's, that becomes the bottleneck, right? You've got to trust your people, you've got to train them. You've got to develop them. So I think that at times, if we're not careful, and as you were talking about the comp being competitive, if you're not, you know, that could be a great strength of yours being competitive. But when you take that too far, your strength now becomes your weakness. What do you think about micromanagement? And, and what I want to expand on this question is the idea of micromanaging somebody in order to make sure that they're learning all the aspects and then do it, doing it right. Let's say somebody who is an apprentice, somebody new, who's like you know, hungry and, and keen to learn. And so you might want to micromanage them at the beginning because that's where the feedback can come in because you observe uh, and they learn from it. But then long term, where it can become a detrimental. Oh, absolutely. I, and I think, I think there's a big difference between micromanaging and training, right? So training is that process where I describe, I explain, I demonstrate, then you demonstrate, and then I recognize that you have the ability to do those things, and then I start easing back a little bit. That's training. Yeah. Micromanaging is when, you know, your authority doesn't equal your responsibility, right? I've given you all this responsibility to do these things, but I don't give you the authority to do them, or I'm questioning you at every turn, and so now I'm just frustrating you. So, there's a complete, there's a big difference there. So in a, in a, in a new person in your organization or someone who doesn't have a lot of tenure, someone's learning a new job, that's a training process, right? Mm. But, I, but I completely am willing to take that step back at the appropriate time. People who micromanage just don't know how to, how to allow the people to have the authority that goes with the responsibility. It's very dangerous. It's probably, you know, if you, if you listed four or five things that cause turnover in an organization, there are, you know, there's a couple things that are that, that are pretty consistent turnover uh, machines, you know. But one of them is micromanaging that you're not giving me the authority that goes with the responsibility, so I don't feel valued. I don't feel yeah. like you trust me. That's a very, very difficult thing. And I think early on, it's important for you to describe the training process. So if you're a new employee, I'm going to explain to you the training process, so you know I'm not over managing you that I'm really working this process. I'm going to describe, 
I'm going to demonstrate. You're going to demonstrate back to me. And then, and then I'm going to little by little give you more and more responsibility. And then once you're ready to go, we're going to look at each other and you're going to nod. I'm going to nod. I'm going to say, go fly. I got to go on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, that but, but I've described that to you so that you're not confused as to, is this this guy's the person's style? Is this is what it's going to be like all the time. But micromanaging is a very, very, now there are times when, when people are starting to come off, uh, come off track a little bit that you, that I would say not so much micromanage, but which it is a little form of it. But what you're doing is, is you're helping them through that difficulty. Okay. You're starting to see they're getting too far off of, you know, off track and off plan. And once they get too far off, they may never be able to get back again. So that's when you may, but that's a conversation you have when you sit down and you say, okay, Rocky, you know, we're, we're, we're getting farther and farther off plan. Let's talk about some of the things we need to do. What help do you need from me? But we got to get you back on plan. You know, I may be spending more time with you, but it's important that we get you back on plan. The big message I'm getting from here is the way you explain it is, is, the, is the importance of really communicating that with that person, just being really open and explain, okay, this is why I'm doing it. I'm not I'm not here to harass you, micromanage you. There's a purpose to it. And once once you're back on track, I'm I'm going I'm moving on the other things and, and you're good to go. Yeah, no, that's 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 a great point. That's that summarizes it. You know, it's interesting, a quick story for you. So, you know, I talk a lot about my dad in the book who since passed, but what the his influence of me growing mm-hmm. up, but in my adult life, no one's been more of an influence to me than my wife, Debbie, and has been a great friend, partner, and mentor, but just a great influence on me. And there's a story that I talk a lot about that was such a big influence on me in my, in my adult life, both in business and in personal life. You know, it's funny. We go out to dinner one night with this couple, and the woman says to Debbie, we have four children, uh, two girls, two boys. And so the woman says to Debbie, so, hey, who's your favorite kid? And so Debbie <laughs> looks at her and says, I don't have favorites. They're all my favorites. And, and so I kind of take a step. I got to lean back. I'm thinking, I want to hear how she answers this. I never really heard anybody ask her that question that way, you know? So the woman says, no, come on. Someone has to be your favorite. Is it G-Marie, Nicole, Rocky, Andrew? Come on. One of them's got to be your favorite. Is it Andrew because he's the youngest? And Debbie goes, no, they're all my favorite. And the woman says, how could that be? And then she, her answer, I got to tell you, was so impactful to me, so thoughtful, which is what she's all, which is really kind of described my wife. But, and here's her answer. They're all my, they all feel like they're the favorite because each of them gets what they need when they need it. Now, think about that for a second. Each of them gets what they need when they need it. Therefore, they all feel like they're the favorite. And, you know, I thought about that. And from that moment forward, that's how I managed, you know, all my operations and all the responsibilities I had. And so for me, if I had a seasoned CFO, for example, he or she didn't need me to overmanage them. They needed me to let them fly. It was more talk with. They would tell me what's going on. You got it. You need help from me. Just go. So they felt like they were the favorite because they got to do what they needed to do and not be overmanaged. If I had a you know, director of sales that maybe he or she was brand new in the job and they needed more of my time, maybe they needed me to go with them to close a deal. Maybe they needed me to help them with a specific strategy for a customer. And so they were getting a lot of my time. So they felt like they were the favorite because they they had my time and and I was there when they needed me at those specific moments in time. And so if you think about it from that perspective, each person got what they need when they needed it. And I think that's such a great way to manage. And to your point, 
by communicating with individuals and talking to them, you're telling them why. Why are you here with me all the time? You know, am I doing something wrong? Did you lose confidence in me? Well, no, maybe the answer is, you know, hey, I'm trying to help you get back on plan. You need that next win so that you're back on plan. I'll, I'll, I'm here to help you do that. But, but once they're on plan, what they need is not me overmanaging. So I think that's the other, you know, valuable lesson there, that each person should get from you as the leader what they need when they need it. Mm. Mm. And it's often it's it's so easy to to go and see you know somebody maybe underperforming and us feeling like you know having that standard really high and just going straight into it and just telling them uh, you know hey you you know you're behind there and and fix that and just directing the the solution but and it's so easy to for that to happen when we're so busy as business owners right. Uh, we just want to fix that yes. problem because that person is not really doing it properly because I don't know why. Maybe they're lazy. Maybe they something's going on, and and but we don't have time to deal with it. We just get to tell them and move on. But that's yeah, that doesn't doesn't solve it long term. They might fix it. Oftentimes they might not. They might actually get pissed off, right? <laughs> so <laughs> having that having that conversation like really put that whole thing around it. Like, hey, I need to talk to you. How are you going? What's going on? Just noticed, you know, some of the things in, you know, in your day-to-day -day are sort of falling behind what's going on in your world. And that's when that sort of the idea of thoughtful leadership comes in, right? Yes. Well, I think it's, and the other thing, you know, I talk a lot about is this whole concept of simple acts of kindness. That, although it doesn't feel like it at that moment for the individual, that is a simple act of kindness where I'm coming up to you and I'm recognizing that you're struggling a little bit or you're frustrated, things aren't going the way you would like them to go. So that that's a simple act of kindness where I'm just saying, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Is there anything I can do to help you? Sometimes it's just that conversation that helps people through that. But I think sometimes, to your point, we get so busy, we're so focused on what we're trying to accomplish that we sometimes miss that simple act of kindness of, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Or something simple as the reinforcement of, hey, great job yesterday. Thanks for all you do on behalf of our organization. A simple note. You know, that's one of my biggest concerns coming out of COVID, that so many people work from home, so many we're doing so much on Zoom, we're doing so much on Skype now, and all that stuff makes sense from a safety perspective as we move through this. But as we come back, there's going to be those important things that still have to be done, you know, and still have to be done in, in a positive way, such as I can't send you a text that says, hey, nice job last year, here's your 2% increase. Well, no, no, that's a conversation you have to have with people. <laughs> or it's hard to have a career development conversation via text. And I think that that's a concern that we still have to have those critical conversations. We may do them from a distance, but they have to be had. And you have to be organized when you do them. You have to take the time to do them. Because people, that's a sign of respect. And I thought enough of you that I laid out a game plan, laid out you know, what, you know, your strengths, your weaknesses, what do I think your opportunity for you inside our organization, and what are some of the barriers that we can work together to help you break through to achieve those results? Absolutely. And the other thing on that note on, you know, sending somebody a text message, hey, you got a race. I also think if you do that, that's very private. Nobody knows about it. In a way, it misses a point. It misses the full value of that, of that activity of, you know, being promoted. Because I always think like, marketing right like if you have somebody in your organization they're getting promoted and there's other people in that team you actually get more bang for your buck you're going to make more impact if you sort of announce it if you send out a company-wide you know 
update. Hey guys, wanted to let you know, Jimmy from over there, he's been working with us, put a bit of a story around it and just wanted, you know, big congratulations for, for him and for his team for doing that. Because that you acknowledge it publicly or within that organization where everybody else can see that and that can become that inspiration for them as well to, oh, wow, yeah, I know Jimmy. Yeah, yeah well, he, I, I've been noticing he's been working so hard and wow, that's, that's, uh, that really inspires me to to change maybe something in my in, in how I behave, how I uh, work in this organization so that I can perhaps grow as a person and, and get a promotion one day as well. Whereas if it was yeah. just that text message, nobody would knew. And yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, that's absolutely right. Right. It's so not you cost praise, you more money. It's just, yeah. <laughs> hey, you praise in public and you uh, <laughs> discipline in private, you know, and then I think that's important. And plus the other thing is you're, you're, you're showing people the behavior that you recognize yeah. if, if, you know, if, if Susan or Mary or Anthony are the, are doing the things the way that, you, you know, the way the organization wants them to be done, they treat people with dignity and respect. They, they value diversity. They understand their roles and responsibilities. They have good results. Well, now, now they get promoted or, you know, they have additional responsibilities what you're doing is applauding that behavior. You're telling people that's what good looks like. If you want to understand what it takes to get to that next level or take on additional responsibility or do more inside our organization, grow and develop, there's a good model for you. you, Now, the opposite could happen too. If you promote that person who doesn't deserve it, there are no secrets in the business, by the way. No matter how small or big your business is, there are no secrets in the business. And everybody, you know, that person that's not doing their job that no one's had a conversation with. Everyone's sitting there wondering, well, when are they going to talk to that person? Like, how long is that person going to get away with this? And why am I doing more work because nobody's talking to them? So I think mm. that, you know, that's a double-edged sword, you know, what you do in public because you want to, you know, it works well when you're applauding the right behavior and the right people are getting promoted and everyone knows that they deserve that job. But when that person gets that job that doesn't deserve it, what you're really doing is reinforcing bad behavior and you and the good person starts to scratch their head and saying well if there's no if there's if there's no value in being good and you, there's no recognition in being good i might as well just be middle of the road and just you know why be an early adopter i you know i get no recognition for it yeah i think you hit a really good point on that because that can that can undermine the whole integrity of of your leadership when people see that if you if you really if you don't do a thorough research on that person before you promote them then yeah, it can definitely bite you back. And, and like I said, it can demotivate a lot of other people who may have been working a lot harder and have been unnoticed. Yeah, that's true. Let's talk about entrepreneurial spirit. You've had really interesting you know, career. You started from nothing and, and your dad you know, gave you some really you know, valuable advice when you were young. And then from then, you, know, you, you work yourself up from just doing loading. What was that first position at UPS? Yeah, I was loading and loading trailers. Right, loading and loading trailers. Hard work, nothing. The bottom line, right? And then you work hard, you stayed, you know, you had strong work ethics and you built yourself up to to becoming a president of a variety of different divisions at UPS. So that's in itself, that's that's a success story in itself. But now you've got your own business. So tell us about that. How's that been going? Well, it's, well, you know, during that tenure at UPS, as I said, I had the opportunity to, you know, work with the UPS store network. So for me, you know, it was a, a great opportunity. I, it was a direct report to me. And w- what happened was 
the UPS store network is a franchise network, but 100% franchisee owned. And I got the opportunity to work with all, all these entrepreneurs and, and gain such great respect and knowledge, great respect, knowledge, and understanding for what they did. Now, I was working for a large corporation at the time, UPS. And so I looked at them and I always said, I don't know if I could do what they do. I mean, it's, it amazes me. And like I said, the respect I have for entrepreneurs. Think about this, and you know this as an entrepreneur yourself, but think about this. No one's more all in than an entrepreneur. They take everything they own in life, slide it across the table and say, I'm all in. I'm going to start my business. I'm going to take everything, I, all my savings, all my assets. I'm going to, you know, some of them have their houses as part of the loans. They're all in. From, you know, and, and think about it from this perspective. At the end of the day, an entrepreneur hits a cash register, drawer opens. They pay their people, pay their vendor. What's left, they take home for their family. And, and that, to me, is the ultimate all in. And so I had such great admiration for entrepreneurs. And, 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 and I, as I watched them, I always wondered, could I do it? Would I have the, the you know, kind of the inner, the inner fortitude to do it? And as I said, such great respect. And so as I, as I continue to grow and do other jobs in UPS, I always kept a watchful eye on the franchisees and the franchise network. And I did anything I could to get to know entrepreneurs as best I could. And when we, when we had the sale at Unitech after retirement, when I was a CEO and we sold the company, I thought this would be a nice opportunity for me to maybe start my own business, you know, speaking, leadership training and consulting. Now, I clearly, you know, I have, I've, have a wonderful pension at UPS and, you know, mm. not clearly the same as an entrepreneur who's starting out and, and, you know, they're, they're putting food on the, on but the enough table. to be comfortable yeah. and play golf. Yeah. So, I mean, so I don't ever want ever, I, I don't ever what's, you know, take that feeling like, Oh, I'm an entrepreneur like every other. No, no, no. I mean, I, I it's a difference. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm learning it. I've learned from them. I'm trying, you know, I'm doing the best I can to grow this business. But, you know, I do, you know, I had a wonderful career at UPS with a wonderful pension. So I, I, so I never misunderstand this to be, I'm an entrepreneur as you are starting your business and, you know, your family, you know, you're, you're, you're taking care of your family mm. and what you're earning from your business. And so for me, I've learned so much from them. I've learned from doing this. I think the biggest thing is, is under, you know, setting the right expectations for yourself as an entrepreneur, making sure that you take care of the details, make sure that you understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish. I think the other thing is, is, is I'm fortunate. You know, I grew up having to have a, a, a more strategic mind of what we're going to look, what are we going to look like in the future? I think as an entrepreneur that sometimes you're very tactical, you know, so I feel like that helps me help them in this business now. So I think that that combination of understanding how a big business runs, but but the training and the mentoring I received from the franchisee kind of puts together a nice package for me to help other people. So I think that's the best thing that's happened to me is that I've had that experience. I've had the experience of running a company. I've had experience of running large business units inside of UPS, but I've also had the experience of working with some of the the finest entrepreneurs and, you know, and when I, and to me, I combine all of that and now can I help other people with that? Absolutely. And so how do you, how do you do that these days? You've got a, a company, a management company. Yeah. So we have a consulting side of 360 management services. We have the keynote speaking side, then mm -hmm. we have the leadership training side. 
And then we have the consulting side where we work with, we work with all size companies. We love working with small business owners because we feel like we can make a difference, you know, and, and so we can get in there, we can assess things. We have a really interesting process that we use. It's, it's you know, we've kind of developed it from our, our background. So the interesting part, so as a UPS or years ago when I started, obviously in June 15th, 1976, so I'll give away my age, and, but you know I'm over 40 years, so you got to figure out, you got to be close on that, right? So June 15th, 1976. So in those days at UPS, when you went from part-time to full-time, you couldn't go into full-time supervision without being a UPS driver. And so I got the opportunity to be a driver and I loved every minute of it. I was in my brown uniform, I was delivering, I loved it. But the lesson it taught me that stuck with me forever was it also gave me great confidence to understand the business, to understand what it is that we do. We're a delivery company. And so every job I received after that, so for example, when we purchased Mailbox, et cetera, it's a pack and ship uh, franchise. First thing I did was put an apron on and work in the store because I wanted to understand what it is that we do inside of the UPS store network. When we purchased all the companies and built UPS supply chain solutions. You know, if you wanted to find what I was doing, I was picking orders. I was understanding how the orders drop. I think that's what's so important. And I think that that's the, I learned that lesson early on in my career that it's important to understand what it is that people do and how they do it. Now you're clearly not going to have the expertise that they do, but you want to give them the respect of saying, I'm going to take the time to come out here and try to understand what it is you do so that then you're comfortable enough to help me build a business the right way. You know, you're willing to help me understand the business. And we, now we begin to work together. Well, that's what we do in our consulting business. You know, someone will call us in, for example, I'll just take an example, sales. Someone will call us in and say, hey, I think our sales force is off a of plan. We may, we may need some help with sales. You know, can you build us a sales training program? First thing we say is absolutely not. We're going to go out and spend a day with each of your account executives. No, no, they're really good. No, I'm not saying they're not good, but they're off a plan and you want me to put them in a workshop. Why don't we, why don't we go out and spend, so we go out and spend a day. If it's, if it's a manufacturing and we're on a line or we're inside an organization, we go spend a day with the key players. We're working with a small business here in town and you know he's got 35 technicians on the road and first thing we said is, okay, we're going to spend a we're going to we're going to spend a few hours with each of the people in your office, just four people in the office, and we're going to spend. Give me your best technician, your most help needed technician, and that technician that's right there somewhere in the middle, and let's go spend a day with each of them. And so what happens is you begin to understand the the, the organization from the people who are executing the brand every day. So they're the people closest to your customers closest to your, you know, closest to, you know, the, the, not only your customers, but also your internal customers, how they interact with each other. So I think that process of trying to understand, taking the time to understand what it is that you do on a daily basis. So, if, you know, let's say, for example, if you called me in and said, hey, Rock, you know, I'm trying to understand how to make my, my gym here, my fitness center more, you know, maybe more streamlined, make it more effective, make it more user-friendly to to the, our clients. Well, the first thing I would do is say, I'm going to come in and you know, give me your best instructor or, or your coach. Give me your most help needed. Give me your newest coach. Let me see what they know. Let me see the people inside the office. Can I talk to one or two of your customers? Well, now you're getting that 360 view of what everyone thinks about your organization or about your business. And then what do they view as the strengths, the weaknesses, 
and some of the opportunities that exist for you to get better. But then what are some of the barriers that are preventing you from to get there? So that's how we do it in a unique way. And I think it's a combination of what I learned through my days inside of UPS, my experiences there, my experiences taking on new opportunities outside of what we traditionally do. And then also from the entrepreneurs I had a chance to work with and through, I th- you know, it gives me a kind of a full circle of learning. And the, and a really good point that you brought up there is as a consultant, when you're trying to help other small business owners, and they might be coming from whatever industry, you said fitness, right? It's not necessarily about you understanding the technicalities of fitness, of you know what does a personal trainer do and how they right. can, right? It's about having that conversation with all those key players in that organization who, like as you said, have the direct direct relationship or the closest relationship with the clients and just asking right. those questions. So understanding from their perspective, what do you think is going well? What do you struggle with? Because that gives you as a consultant that broad spectrum. And again, a spec a spectrum, sorry. And again, then you can provide those solutions, but not necessarily, you don't, it doesn't have to be a technical thing, right? The technical thing is what they should be figuring out anyway, right? Because it right. goes back to that coaching. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. That is, a, it's interesting too, during this whole difficult pandemic, I mean, we, we still are doing quite a bit of consulting because although we're remote, we can do a lot via conversation with people. So for example, we may not be able to go spend a day with a technician on the road, for example, mm. but, we can, but we can spend an hour with them on the phone. And by asking the right questions, by being that open kind of person or people that we are at 360, people are willing to talk to us. And so what happens is they start to describe. And since all of us, you know, manage the people on the road as delivery drivers for so many years, you know, we kind of understand, you know, that on road side of the business. And so I think that's, it's important that if you open the dialogue, if people understand that what you're doing stems from an honest heart, you're trying to just improve things, but you want their input people are more willing to give you their input. And then you, the other thing is to your point, you start to close the gap of the disconnect, right? Because you have a vision of running a world-class organization there as, as a customer, as an employee, they're hoping to work for a world-class organization, but you don't have world-class results right now. So what's, what's that gap? What's, what's preventing you from executing your vision of having a world-class organization and them wanting to, you to be world-class. Because people want to work for world-class organizations. Customers want to engage with world-class organizations. So you have the aspiration. They have the desire, but yet there's that gap. And sometimes the conversation that you have one-on-one with those two individuals, you as a person asking the question or the person going out and spending time with them, you uncover that gap that that neither one of them has seen because they're so busy doing their jobs, their heads down, chopping wood, trying to do the best they can. You know, they're trying to do the best they can for you as an employee or the customers got their own set of problems going on that they, you know, you kind of, you're talking right past each other. Mm. The hard thing here, I think is also, and this is only what I think I haven't really experienced, but what I've observed in conversations with other people is if those big organizations, when you've got somebody who's you know high up in that top executive role, and then and then you've got those employees who are in those highly technical roles, and the disconnect that can happen between those two areas, where these guys are facing completely different problems, and they 
you know, they see the company's solution completely different than what the guys up to talk, right? I really like the analogy of what Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk often says, is the clouds and the dirt, right? You need to be clouds referring to as somebody who's in that, you know, that eagle, top executive right. doing the bigger picture decisions. And then you've got the dirt, which is the, 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 the little bits, the, the actual technical aspect of day to day, right? And I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's a two-sided Quite, as, as two things to look at here, right? One is, well, if, if you are in that top executive position, you can't, in a way, you can't get yourself too obsessed with the little minor details because you, you do need to make those big picture decisions, right? But then those decisions, should, I, th- I think, would you agree that those still need to be based on you understanding all the aspects of the business, not just at the top, but also having some good insights to the bottom, what's going on? Oh, absolutely. I think it starts with your belief as the leader that there are no easy jobs in the, in our company. And each of us plays a role. One job is not more important than another job. I mean, you know, think about a football team. You know, you've got 11 people in the huddle. You know, clearly the quarterback's in charge of the huddle because if you had everybody talking in the huddle, you'd never get the playoff. But you know, that that quarterback is not going to be very successful if the guards and tackle aren't blocking. Same with, so, you know, take a soccer game, right? I mean, the forwards are not more important than the defenseman than the goalie. And so it's the same inside of a business. I think what ends up happening is, is I have a role and responsibility as CEO. I used to tell people all the time, as CEO, I was a chief enthusiasm officer. I was, you know, that was my role. It wasn't to run the day-to-day operations, so my, but, but I recognize that the most important person in our organization was that person closest to our customers. So inside UPS, the most important person inside UPS isn't the CEO, it's the driver. It's the driver who's interacting with our customer because they're executing the brand promise. So I think that that's what, so that's a little bit of the disconnect. So as the leader, yeah, you may have a certain role responsibility as CEO the way a quarterback does or, or the captain of a team does. But that doesn't mean your role responsibility is more important than the goal than you know than the goalie or than than the driver. So I think that you don't ever lose sight of that. We're all in this together. There are no easy jobs inside an organization. Everyone's job is important or it wouldn't be there. So I think that you have to recognize that and give that that give that respect to those individuals. And then you know there's a there was a, a show on here in the US I'm not sure if it's on there in Australia but it's called undercover boss and and you know and it's, it's you know the the CEO goes down undercover and spends time in the operation and you know I don't understand how anybody would view that as I mean it's a great show everybody enjoys it but as a CEO would you want to be the undercover boss that means nobody knows who you are would you yeah. want to be when you want to be? There was another show on for many years. It called sounds Cheers. very authoritative. It's, like, it's sort of coming from an authoritative aspect of like, well, I don't want anybody to know. I just want to go there and see who's doing everything wrong, or like can come across like that, isn't it? I, yeah, I think well, I, we're I, trying to fix things, <coughs> but I mean, we, you know, as a as a CEO, don't, don't don't you think you should know what's going on inside your organization? I mean, it's a good show. People like it. I mean, I. But I wouldn't want, I would never go on a show like that. That would be saying, I would be, it would, it would break my heart that nobody knows, you know, I don't know what's going on. I mean, you know, that means that you don't foster the type of communication. You don't set the tone from the top that says, I want to know about things that aren't right. I want to, you know, look, part of what makes great leaders are people who can accept bad news. Mm. If you don't get any bad news, it's because you, you've 
set up this barrier that you're not willing to accept bad news. So no one's going to bring you bad news if you're the kind of person that says, you know, kill the messenger. Well, then who's going to bring you bad news? Yeah. It's, it's almost it's just a suicide mission if I bring you bad news because I know you, you don't accept it. So I think if you're not getting bad news, it's because you're not setting the tone that you're willing to accept bad news. I think also it's a problem of ego. <clears throat> yep. As a... Just go back to that point of uh, personal brand and the importance of being connected to customers. I've got a really good analogy with in hospitality industry, which is where I was actually leading into when I was 18. I got qualified as a cook and I thought one day I'm going to become a chef and all that. So I've done a couple of you know apprentices, different restaurants. And one thing I've noticed is... You know, it's the, the supply chain, right? Similar to like, I guess, you know, a post and sending packages, UPS supply chain and restaurant. You've got, you've got the kitchen, you've got the cook who has to prepare the meal. Then you've got the, 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 the waiting staff and you've got the table where the customer sits and waiting for that nice warm meal, right? And I've worked at places where they never really get to connect with the chef. They are sort of hidden behind the kitchen and the whole experience is purely depend on what's on the plate, how it tastes, how it looks, and the customer service delivered by the by the waiting staff. But then I worked at one place, which was in Greece. <clears throat> I was there for four months as an apprentice, and what I th- one thing that I loved there was the chef. He was he was kind of a bit of an entertainer. He wouldn't just make good meals. They would they were great meals, but he would you know we would finish, we prepare the buffet and and everything and. And then he would go and talk to everybody. He would sit at a table. He would have a have a meal with with the guests, and it was just amazing. People loved it, and 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 the experience that they got out of it, and you know him telling uh, telling them you know what's in the meal and some special ingredients, and then them telling him you know like feedback, and everybody was just having a really good experience. I think it's so important to um, that connection with customers across. All the different levels of the business, because you might ha- you might be the owner, you might be the passionate chef, you might own that restaurant, but if you're constantly hidden in the, in the kitchen, again, you, you might have that problem, like I said, where there's that disconnect. You don't know what the feedback from the customers really is. I mean, other than you look at a Yelp review later, which is again digital on the internet, but there's nothing better than going and you know face to face talking to those customers and. Not only getting feedback, but you're actually just expanding that experience for them because they're going to feel more special, right? No, absolutely. And, and the biggest reason why leaders don't leave their office or chefs don't leave the kitchen, in, in your, your example there, is because they don't want to hear bad news. Once you leave your office, once you leave that kitchen, then you have to be willing to accept the bad news and be willing to fix it. But if you never want bad news or you never want to hear about bad, bad news, then you just stay in your office or you stay in the kitchen and everything is wonderful in your office and everything is great in your kitchen. But I think that's a sign of a person who, who really wants to own the results and really wants to improve things. And that's why they're willing to leave the comfort of the kitchen that, or the comfort of their office because they really do want to know and they set the tone that I want to know. And you're gonna have a. You think you d- delivered a great meal, but maybe the customer didn't like the spices or whatever it is. I mean, ten people before loved it, the eleventh person didn't. Well, now you're gonna hear about that meal, but you're willing to hear about it because you want that customer to know that you care enough that you're willing to come out there and listen to that and understand and, and empathetically understand what they're telling you. 
And maybe it is also that everything is perfect. The meals are perfect. Everything is perfect. But you are stuck in the kitchen in day to day. And that's not fun. I mean, you might end up after a few years actually uh, losing the passion for, for your initial love for cooking because you're just in the grind, right? So that's, again, yeah, that's another one. Look after yourself in a way as well. It's not just, again, that feedback from the customers, but it also looks after your own, just, just keeping in tune with your, your initial passion for why you were doing it. By going to those yeah. customers and just having those, having a good conversation of them, just re, re acknowledging, strengthening that you know that message that yes, you are a good chef and th- this meal is awesome and and we we value you that you come out to us and having the chat and just you know expanding that experience for us, great dinner and <clears throat> yeah, Rocky, you are also a keynote speaker and this is not something that you may have envisioned to become when you started um, but now you do that what was that journey for you to become a speaker well it's interesting because it's probably one of the last things that anybody thought i would be or including myself i mean you know i was that that person that never really enjoyed public speaking in fact when i was in the fifth grade play the christmas play i just wanted to be the baby jesus lay me in swaddling clothes and lay me in a manger i don't want to say anything you know but one of the things that i learned as i was growing and developing throughout my career was that communication was such an important part. And to be a successful leader, you really need to, you needed to be a good communicator. And so uh, I was good on a one-on-one communication. I needed to work on my public speaking. And so that's what I did. I worked on my public speaking and I worked on... And how I did it was when I do my keynote speaking or I do public speaking, I visualize or I look at individuals in the audience and I visualize a one-on-one conversation. So it's easier for me to have a one-on-one conversation. So as I look out in the audience... I'm making eye contact with people in the audience, no matter how large. You know, I've given speeches over a thousand people, 150, 225 people. So for me, I always and people. It's funny. Some of the I, most of my comments were always, you know, entertaining. Learned a lot, very educational. But I felt like he was talking directly to me. Well, I was because I was making eye contact, and that was my way of getting over it. So. Part of what you have to do is you have to work on the things. You have to look at, you know, your kind of your skills inventory and understand what are the things that I need to do and things I need to work on. And I got to work on those things. And I may be uncomfortable public speaking. I can't avoid it. I have to get better at it. And then as I was growing and developing inside UPS, I, you know, became somewhat the designated speaker for different topics. And then as I retired and moved on, you know, I got calls from people. Would you be interested in doing you know, a speech or a topic. And I, and now I absolutely enjoy it. It's, it's kind of teaching in a, not in a classroom setting, but now in kind of a lecture hall setting is how I look at it. Mm. No, it's very empowering. I watched one of your, one of your videos on your website where you've got, you know, some of the examples for, you know, obviously promoting your speaking services. And you had, you gave that speech somewhere. It was like a, a podium, but a blue curtain behind you. It was very oh, yeah, yeah. energetic. Loved it. It was very empowering, very That's inspirational. Good. So I think as a speaker, you were hitting all the points, you know, strong voice, clear message, powerful message, inspirational, but also some really cool storytelling. And and what I really like was the, the persona that you've developed. Keen to share on that for the listeners? Because I kind of know what it is, but... Yeah. So as I was growing and developing, I never liked the, I never liked when someone brought me an idea that I would say, well, you know, but that's a good idea, but what if you did this? Or what if you looked at that? I always felt like that, that at that moment, you, you thought I didn't think it was a good idea or that I wasn't happy, that you, that maybe there were some more things you could have looked at or done. And so 
over the course of time, I created this character, Joe Scafone. I would say to you, hey, that's a great idea, but you think Joe Scafone thinks that's a good idea? And it was my way of challenging you not to stop at the first right answer, but in a positive way and not make you feel less than or that I didn't think what you were presenting was good or, or, or you know, complete. And so Joe Scafone became that character throughout my career that I could challenge you to not stop at the first right answer or maybe move past what you initially did in a positive way. And so I wrote the book in this third character, in this third person, Joe Scafone. And it, and it became, you know, it's funny, people who work for me over time would say, hey, I covered this with Joe Scafone already. So Joe Scafone's become this, <laughs> you know, buddy of mine that helps me, uh, helps me not say, you know, I would do it this way or I think you should do it that way. I, mean, I just use Joe. Hey, Joe, Joe thinks you might want to look at it a different way. Yeah. And I think it's it's important to bring a bit of that lightheartedness to 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 the working environment. So yeah. kudos to you, mate. Yep. Now yep. tell us about the book. What is the book called again and why did you write it? So the book's called Tighten the Lug Nuts. It's and it's kind of my journey through a story. And it's uh, I think you'll find it very entertaining as well as educational. And it's the it's the many lessons and, and things that happened to me along my journey. It's written by Joe's Scaffone. So Joe's kind of the character <laughs> in the book. And the title of the book is called Tighten the Lug Nuts. It's a chapter in the book and it's a lesson in the book. And simply put, when the lug nuts on a vehicle, on the lug, when the lug nuts on the wheels are loose, they're important. And you can simply just go over and tighten them and it's fixed. But if you get sidetracked or distracted and you forget to tighten those lug nuts, something simple you could have done in, that, in a few minutes a few days later, you now have a problem with the front wheel coming off or a loose, a loose wheel, and now it becomes urgent. And so people can only handle so many important, urgent things in their personal or professional life. So don't allow important things to become urgent. Tighten the lug nuts. Love it. Where is the book? Is it available? Where, where, yes. can, people, where can people buy it's on, it? It's on a five-star Amazon book. It's, it's been very humbling how well it's been uh, selling. And it's also on Barnes & Noble online as well. So it's, Amazon has, is, does an absolutely fantastic fulfillment. And so you can get it on Amazon online or Barnes & Noble online. Do you always think back like when somebody buys your book, do you like in your head like visualize how the book's like traveling through all the supply chain? <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I really do. And it's funny because I'm mean, selling worldwide now, you know, and so it's pretty cool to have people in Australia buy the book and in England buy the book. Recently, we've had a lot of sales in India. So I think it's pretty cool. I mean, the US has been been a lot of fun, but it's it's nice to see. And people send me emails and, you know, what their favorite story in a book is. Or I get a lot, like today I signed 30 books for, you know, an association up in uh, upstate New York that's giving out scholarships to uh juniors and seniors in high school going into college. And so for the scholarship members, I signed 30 books for them and, and sent that off to them. So I enjoy doing those kinds of things as well. Oh, that's awesome. Now, Rocky, on a completely different subject, we've covered so much about leadership and business and employee management and, and all those aspects. But I also want to talk about, because when it comes to you know someone's story of success, somebody listening, looking at you know becoming more successful in life and in business, it's it's not only important to understand all the aspects that we've discussed, becoming a better leader and, and all that sort of stuff, but it's so it's also very important to to realize the importance of <laughs> health and fitness, having a really good balanced lifestyle and being physically fit so that you can perform at your best. How important is fitness for you? 
Well, it's extremely, it's extremely important. I, we have the Peloton that Deb and I use quite a bit. I go out for my runs as I think through things. I do, as I said, not probably not as much as I thought I would, but I play a little bit of golf and I try to walk whenever I can. So for me, it's very important. It also gives me a way to clear my mind. But I think the balance part is so important too, right? Because you know, one of the things I learned over my career is the difference between you know, things that are important and things that are, you know, nice to do things and need to do things. And so mm-hmm. I think some of the mistakes you make early on in your career is you put everything you need to do. But there are quite a few things that you do are nice to do things. And, the, and when you have that decision on a nice to do thing, you can put that nice to do thing on the side and maybe make a little league game or, you know, make a soccer game, you know, or make, make a, you know, a cheerleading event with your family because it, you, re- you recognize that these are nice to do things, not need to do. But if you put everything in need to do, you really, you really kind of shut off your personal life and you end up doing everything in your professional life. So I think that balance starts there with understanding you know, nice to do and need to do, and then making the right decisions. And many times, and you know, now that you know that everything's not need to do, it could be you go for a run, you go for a walk with your sp- spouse, significant other, or friend. You know, those are the things that are important. You you realize that you put your phone down and you don't take it with you on the run because, you know what, you you know, if you get that phone call, you get that text, you may pull, stop. And so I think those things are all important. So that balance is so important in both your personal and professional life. Mm, absolutely, and I also think it's a it's a from a health health perspective, it's a preventative thing, right? We're oh, yeah. we're so much more sedentary, especially now. Everybody worked from home and stuck in a chair, and with that sedentary lifestyle, there's so many you know negative you know health associated risks from you know developing cancers. Obesity is a big one, you know, becoming more overweight. So people not only consider this as something you know. That's a nice thing to do to go for a run, feeling good. But it's, it's really you need to do that because right. it's if you've got other people relying on you as well, especially then you got to look after yourself so that you can not only uh, prevent those nasty things but perform at your ultimate peak. Yeah. And then okay, when you yeah. when you do that, so you become a better leader because you 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 get more energy, you feel more positive, and, and everything just rolls well. Rocky. Thank you for being on the show. It's been amazing to talk to you and, and talk to our listeners about your story and everything that we discussed. I'm going to put everything in the show notes. For those of you who are looking to connect for some business uh, consulting, <clears throat> you have a website, 360 Management Solutions, correct? Managed Services. Management Services. Yeah, What's the website name? 360managementservices.com. There's also a website for the book. It's tightenthelugnuts.com. So, and then, of course, on my website, you can interact with me. And I've been doing a lot of virtual things, too. did a couple of virtual keynotes a few weeks ago. I've been doing a lot of uh, conference calls with companies that are looking for, you know, some training or a different voice on their on their own conference calls. So, so if, if any of those things appeal to you or you'd like to discuss any of those, feel free to contact me through the website or my email is Rocky, R-O-C-K-Y, Romanella, R-O-M-A-N-E-L-L-A at gmail.com. Excellent. Thank you, Rocky. You have a great rest of your day and I look forward to speak to you soon again. All right, my friend, be safe and it was a pleasure being on your show. Be safe. Talk to you soon. Bye.